When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Good afternoon or good evening, everyone. Welcome to Smashbox TV's podcast 480. Terry Miller, alongside Johnny V. Lots of things going on in my head. I've been not, I've been working out a few things, and oh, uh, if I'm if I'm going to be brutally honest, I won't get into all the details with you guys. But uh, it's been a little bit wild coming back. I had an incredible time. I'll talk more at length about the PLO, the Phoenix Ladies Open that took place this weekend. I was out in Arizona for the last few days. Coming back to an exciting time this week, where I am actually meeting with some land surveyors and some parks department people on Thursday to help finalize a design that uh, they're looking to do some clearing for here in southeastern Wisconsin. This has, of course, been a... This is a permanent design? Yeah, this is a permanent design for an ongoing project now that's that's already of more than a year into it. Everything moves a little bit slower than you would expect or, or hope for, but it's a course that's going to for sure be happening. However... Um, <laughs> They called me and gave me the options. They said, we'd love for you to come out here, kind of talk about the final design along with some surveyors and, and some people that are going to bid out the job to do some uh, brush removal and, and clearing a little mm-hmm. bit of, of some of the fairways, this very heavily wooded place. They said, Wednesday or Thursday morning? And I was like, well, Wednesday morning is going to suck no matter what, what time it is. Thursday it is, 8 a.m., an hour away from where you live. I'm not a fan. You guys know me. <laughs> I am the funny part is it clearly doesn't matter Wednesday versus Thursday because tomorrow night you're probably not going to be able to put yourself to bed in the right at, at a good time. You're going to be up just as late, maybe later than tonight. Than tonight. I, know. I, I know that's the problem, but you, here we are. You're a horrible human being is what I'm saying, Terry. <laughs> that's exactly it. Well, one of the best humans. Well, and I don't know if it's just part of that. Uh, Canada nice or all of those other things. Well, that when you they compare say. him to us, he's yeah. definitely way up there. <laughs> yes, he's going to elevate uh, the politeness scale by a thousand. Joining us immediately here in the show, Thomas Gilbert. What's up, Thomas? Hey. Good. How about you guys? Good. Good. Some very mild conditions. I know you're you're oh, down in the south. Here. You're not in Canada right now, but gorgeous here. mild conditions here in 
Wisconsin pushing like the 50s. Yeah, mid 50s. It's great. You, however, you're not in Canada. Where are you? Uh, Right now, I am in Charlotte, North Carolina, but I will be surrendering to the cold fairly soon here now. Now, do you have to go back for visa reasons or are you just going back for holidays? I'm just going back for, yeah, time with my family and the holidays. Um, I have a, still have the five-year visa, which I think doesn't end until 2028 because um, I had to renew it with Thought Space Athletics. And so I'm good. I could stay here until December 31st, 2028. But, uh, of course, I want to still go home, see family and friends and all that stuff. How much, and I remember talking about that at length with you, because you could, I think it was exactly six months, you you could mm-hmm. spend here in the U.S., and then you had to have, uh, you know, time in Canada, or in, yeah, Canada, and you had to, like, yeah. really manipulate and maneuver, like, down to the day, you know, where you were yeah. in terms, how much of that stress has been relieved in in this new visa situation? Maybe explain it, give a quick recap to somebody that doesn't know what we're talking about. Yeah. So, um, with this new visa, um, yeah, I don't have any kind of restrictions. I just have to make sure that every time I enter and exit the country that I declare my visa at the border and that allows me to stay, um, for the full length of time, 365 days a year if I really wanted to. And, um, before I was very much having to try to schedule my time to fit it with all within six months with our lengthy tour schedule starting from February ending in October. And you're essentially treated then, is it considered a, is it a sports visa? Or is it a work visa? What, like, how, how did they make those distinction? Especially as you just mentioned, thought space being one of your primary sponsors, like how does that all get worked in? Yeah. So basically I, I it is a performance um, athlete work visa. So I, am specifically here to work underneath ThoughtSpace, who is a U.S. Um, employer, and I work for them um, as as an employee, basically, and get my uh, visa under that, but it just so happens that I'm doing sports athletics um, as that work for them. Okay. Now, uh, again, just when I think we're going to get to the real meat and potatoes, we have the tangent. <laughs> yeah. Uh, where where are you in terms of your sponsorship agreement with ThoughtSpace and and does that at all is there any do they, they kind of have an extra carrot to dangle uh, to keep you for an X amount of years because of this is that is that directly tied to them Let's just play pretend and say next year you went to some other sponsor. Uh, would some other sponsor have to step in and, and uh, take on a different role? Or is this visa good as long as you're doing the same work? Um, so, no, yeah. If I, I want to uh, continue my, my five-year visa, I would continue having to work under ThoughtSpace for the full five years. Okay. Um, so even though it's still currently a two-year contract, I, I would be hoping to continue to work with ThoughtSpace if they'll have me for the next five years. Okay, so that kind of answers or maybe quells that question of uh, what are your sponsorship agreements and plans and all that kind of looking like uh, in terms of at least the next few years. Yeah. Awesome. So the, the one of the main reasons, and it's always great to catch up with you, we don't have to have a reason. However, this weekend, something that was kind of like quietly on the radar 
was yeah. was the uh, World Flying Disc Federation, WIFDIF as we usually call it, Pan American Team Disc Golf Championship in Langley Pond Disc Golf Park in Warrenville, South Carolina. I'm just going <laughs> to get all the words in. Yeah. What in the world am I talking about? G- give it to us. <laughs> Yeah, so this is um, kind of this was the inaugural Pan American Team Championship. Um, first time it's ever been held. It stems kind of from the um, World Flying Disc Federation's Worlds Team Championship that's been happening uh, mm. since 2015. And uh, so it's a team-based event. You you have six players from each country um, represented there, with a couple alternates as well. Usually about three alternates. And you have three MPO players, um, two FPO players, and then a Masters player, MP40 player that you have for your team. And it is match play through and through. Um, You have a mix of singles matches, so just one-on-one, one person from a country against another person from a country, and also doubles, but played as alternate shot. Hmm. Doubles played as alternate shot. Okay. Uh, doubles, yeah. mixed doubles or? Um... All, all, all the above. There's FPO doubles. There's mixed doubles. There's MPO with MP40. It's like all the above. So you played like 300 holes of golf this weekend or what? <laughs> Are these nine, I, often nine hole, 12 hole, 18 hole matches? Yeah, I played, I played five rounds this weekend. Okay. Yeah, so I think... I think everyone played five rounds. All right, five rounds of eighteen over the three days. Yeah. Okay, so that that's right. considerable right. golf. Now, for for people like me who aren't necessarily familiar with that course or the property, um, a how was it selected, and then b tell us about the actual property in the course. Yeah, so it kind of all originated. This um, event was supposed to be held at the IDGC. Um, I believe we were going to play WR Jackson. Uh, for the entire event, but obviously with, with all the news of the Pine Beetle there, they were no longer able to hold the event at that property. So um, they contacted the PDJ, who was quick on their feet to be like, hey, we have this like really nice course 25 minutes away, um, 15 minutes away from Augusta. Uh, so if we can switch it to there, I think it's a good fit. And actually, I think it worked out maybe better and maybe it's just because i have a lot of experience on um wr jackson so it was like a nice refreshing new course for me but uh i think this course like suited the overall um like skill level of the field a lot better and then made it a lot more interesting for match play uh beautiful beautiful course langley pond and uh, yeah warrenville south carolina if you haven't checked it out it's it's honestly one of my favorite courses i've probably played uh, that says a lot because uh, obviously you're well traveled. Play some of the best courses on the on the planet. What? Uh, yeah. How how would you describe? Yeah, what's it? What's the course play like? Or maybe in that vein, like what would you compare it to? Yeah, so I would actually kind of compare it um, a little bit to some of the courses at IDGC. Um, obviously, it's very similar terrain, being so close together, but uh, it had like four holes of like little water carries, which was obviously really beautiful. Um, Langley Pond, which is more the size of a lake, uh, created like some pretty spectacular views and um, as well just the 
shot variety on the course was really good. It had a lot of mix of distances and shapes on the fairways. So I think just like really, really creative, had good elevation change. So kind of hit all the boxes you're trying to check off when finding a good course. And I'm kind of looking through a few of the uh, the schedule and format. I think there's a PDF that was out there. Charlie Mead is listed as uh, the WIFDIF chair disc golf committee. It was was he there in a capacity of like as a tournament director or oversight or who else is who's all involved? Charlie, we know I've known for many years. Also, just inducted in the Hall of Fame, so he may yeah. be a little more of a household name to some than others. But um, when it was all said and done, like who who is running the show? Um, so Charlie was pretty much offshore. He was helping behind the scenes. Um, he was back in England, um, but Craig Sheether, who was the tournament director on site, and as well as um, a couple of the people from the PDGA. I know Sid was um, there quite a bit helping set up and do stuff. And then also Mike Downs and Brian were all um, there helping out throughout the weekend. Um, So PDJ helped out a bunch, but Craig really kind of put this event together. He uh, helped coordinate through all the teams and really kind of helped things run smooth. Which brings my next question. You described the divisions. How did the team members get selected? Were they appointed? Were they did did you guys apply? Like how in the world did that did that team get assembled? Yeah. So from my understanding, uh, at least for Team Canada, because um, I'm not sure if the selection was different for all the teams. Um, I believe they pretty much kind of went through uh, rating. So the the highest players and kind of went down the list, obviously mm. being um, in the States, it was difficult for some of the higher rated players in Canada to be able to attend. Uh, but they, yeah, pretty much sent out invites to uh, a whole bunch of competitors and kind of went down the list uh, to pick out their roster. And they had a few alternates that had to sub in um, late because I know uh, Casey Hannemeyer from BC and also Max Regetnig, who's yeah half Canadian, half Sweden, or half Swedish, uh, he resides in BC now and was, wasn't able to attend either. Mm. Um, but yeah, it kind of just went down the list from there and a few really solid people were able to fill in the spots, which yeah, made a good team. Uh, and then, uh, I guess a, a real basic question is how often is this was the inaugural? How often is this anticipated to take place is this this isn't every year is it moving forward is or is that the plan um so the pan am games are kind of like the olympics i believe it's every four years okay um so i don't know if they're going to follow that structure of the actual pan am games or if they're going to do like a biannual um pan am championship i know that the uh world team championships which is held the exact same way same format um same kind of coordinators um is every single year Mm. Uh, so this year they had it out in Croatia, mm-hmm. um, I believe in August. And then actually next year, um, which I'm pretty excited about myself, is going to be in Perth, Australia in wow. uh, early November. Really? Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Terry's getting ideas over here? Yeah. 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 You know, book those flights early, Terry. 
Uh, anything is possible. I know. I know the one in Croatia. I talked to Dinko, who was one of the uh, main organizers over there in Croatia, and one of my favorite humans over there. Uh, had originally brought it up a few years ago, the idea of hosting it there. And I saw obviously a lot of our U.S. contingency really enjoying the time, which didn't surprise me. Um, that's awesome. And then I, I've been to Australia, and I I, I wasn't in uh, Perth or in uh, Western Australia. So uh, anything anything could happen. And I like it because I know they do the Australian Championships usually at the end of the month as well. So if, if you're going to be there, yes. make yeah, the most of it. The Australian Championships and as well Aussie Open is going to return, which I think is going to be actually the week or maybe two weeks before uh, the WIF Diff Team Championships. So it's they're kind of like planning to tie these events all together. Yeah, makes, makes perfect sense. A bundle sense. package. I mean, yeah. it makes sense, especially when you're looking to get people to come a long distance and then, uh, you know, host a few events around that time frame. That's exactly, obviously, what Southeast Asia has been doing or will be doing as well this year with yeah. six or eight straight weeks in a row of various events happening all over. Mm-hmm. Now, in terms of you got the team, I understand the selection that that all sounds awesome, but this largely is a is a camaraderie and bragging rights more than a massive paycheck is that is that a fair statement is there is there any money involved um no no money involved it's just yeah bragging rights being able to kind of represent your country and uh be part of this event i think that's the the real hook of it for all all the competitors is just being able to really like stand it because this is very different it was it was completely team-based almost the entire way through match play format and um, so it's a whole different type of like, uh, competition. Um, and so it, it was much more based, like it felt more representative of my country than any other event that I've even been at before. And I was going to say, do you know if there was someone asked on the board and th- these events are usually very difficult to film. Was there any post-production out there? Was somebody filming anything for any highlights or anything like that? Do you know of? No, I know PDJ was out there doing media, so they have a bunch of pictures and as well, I think a few little video clips. I'm not sure how much they took or if they're going to release it. There's a few things that they've kind of posted up on um, Instagram and whatnot, but I don't think, no, there's no post-production or anything that's going to be covering any of the rounds. And it didn't really happen. I mean, does a tournament, (laughs) if a tournament doesn't have live or post, Johnny can, maybe Johnny might be able to even put uh, the teams up on screen here as we continue to talk to you. Uh, There is something that's so incredibly exciting. And I think that's most team events in general aren't, going to be uh, a a huge financial gain no matter what they are whether it's the southwest team invitational here in the u.s or an event like this just in general that doesn't seem to be the main focus or goal of these team events so the fact that it wasn't is not only pretty normal but i just even looking at the pictures just literally scrolling and looking at the pictures everybody in their you know country represented uh Nice Country team shirts. I really like them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, polos yeah, and outfits. Great. Everyone looks sharp. And uh, there's just like a special bond that you'll probably have, not only with the people from your own country, of course, but even just with the people that you played against. Like, this is this is mm-hmm. pretty damn cool. I'm not going to lie. I, I'd go with Columbia's shirt over yeah? anybody. Yeah. yeah. No, I know. They looked really sharp. They had, um, like, hidden in, in the design of the shirts, they had, like, Columbia down the back and uh-huh. disc golf across the chest. And so I like, 
It was a really sharp jersey. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now I I did I can say I saw this as well that uh in in like some other sporting activities or sporting uh events and and competitions I saw a few jerseys get exchanged. Did yes. you, did you partake and uh were, were, yeah you say so yeah they had names on them so did you partake? I did. Yeah. So I I swapped um, my white jersey with uh one of the players on Team USA and so I have I have their jersey as well. Uh, Canada, I guess, I don't know if they planned it ahead, but they did two jerseys, so I still have one ah, of my sweet. sets of jerseys uh, from Canada. Now, and whether you call it modest or not, coming in on paper, did you feel like Canada had the best team of the three? Um, I would say it was pretty even between Canada and U.S. I think... Um, based on like rating averages, the U.S. had a little bit of a notch up on Canada, um, and they had a great team too. They they obviously didn't have their their biggest guns, the tour players that you're um, commonly thinking representing the the states. But they had Johnny McRae and Ryan Mulder, Ray Hill, like a bunch mm-hmm. of really solid players that um, definitely put up a good fight. I mean, the actual points before the medal matches was. Very, very close. I think it, U.S. had 34 points to 32 for Canada. Um, so it was a very, very tight battle in, until that um, final medal match. Yeah, it's uh, like I said, I almost, I don't know how, maybe maybe my head was just in the sand, but I felt like this kind of came up out of nowhere, happened, and then I was like, wait, what's going on? <laughs> and that's why I was so excited, and I really appreciate you joining us tonight because I, it just feels like there could have been even more about it, especially being on a quote unquote off week of the tour. Um, mm-hmm. Do do you feel like a lot of people knew what was happening, or not necessarily, or did this kind of no, surprise? No, I would us say all? most people, like most disc golfers and disc golf fans, um, didn't know about this event even existing until PDJ started putting out a few articles and a few pieces of media about it, which wasn't until the event started. So. <laughs> Um, unless you knew somebody in the event or somehow like popped up the, one of the Wiftif articles, like it was very much under the radar until it started happening. Yeah. I saw something about it just a few days ago and then I forgot about it until I was scrolling through social media. And I believe I saw a post from you on Instagram and I was like, Oh, that's right. That's going on this weekend. This is awesome. Yes. Oh, I saw Johnny McRae actually. That's where I originally saw it. He was saying how he was getting ready to go do team captaining. I think he posted that last week. Yeah. Um, getting yeah. up there. So that was where I, f- I think that's where I first saw it on social media. Like what? What's happening? Yeah. Where? I know. I, I I saw it and I was like, hmm, "What is that?" And then when he when he said Pan American, I'm like, "Oh, that's right. That's uh, I I have heard of that." <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, what what if anything? And and maybe this is even getting a little nitpicky, and that's fine. But what if anything would you change about it, or or enhance, or uh, or slightly alter? Um, to to make the experience even even better, or or did you feel like it really just hit the mark? Um, I mean, I kind of feel like it hit the mark. Maybe the weather. I mean, if I'm being real picky, oh, wow. could have been okay. could have been nicer. But like, <laughs> I I think the the course, the teams were fun. Obviously, it'd be really cool to see um some more representation from like the top players of. Uh, of both Canada and the U.S., like mm-hmm. 
I mean, now they don't need to send like the top five players in tour <laughs> rankings or something, but like, uh, I mean, definitely would have been fun to see just some big names there that would draw some more attention to the event. Yeah, and I, I continue to think, I think of uh, a lot of state games, including the Badger State games here in Wisconsin for many years, for more than two decades, had disc golf uh, got introduced relatively early. We're very thankful for that. And it was there. And then I got it into the senior Olympics uh, many years later. However, we've become so competitive. We've become so cutthroat that often players are like, what? I can't, I can't even, there's no cash. I can't even like, (laughs) I can't even win a hundred bucks. Like then, then sometimes they're like, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm still good with, uh, you know, keeping in my off season routine here. Uh, so we'll we'll see if that we can find a way to attract some of those players. Uh, but it's also what I do love though too is I mean I I kind of look at it like the Olympics where in a lot of the sports we don't have our you know professional top professional athletes representing that sport and then you get to see uh, you know all these other up and coming super bright stars that fill in yeah. that are uh, you know then we become a little bit more familiar with them. So yeah. We'd love to hear of of the people you saw and played against. Now, clearly, we know most of the U.S. players, mm-hmm. but is is there someone that you saw this weekend, FPO or or uh, MPO or MP40, that's like, hey, they're thinking about touring and or, hey, guys, you know, keep this name in the back of your head because you might see them at a Worlds or something like that. Is there anyone that kind of jumped out at you in that way? Um. I would say so. Yeah, I think. Uh, I mean, two that kind of pop into my head: uh, Ryan Mulder. He's kind of been on and off the tour a little bit from mm-hmm. the states, but young kid. I think he's sixteen. So yeah, just one of those new <laughs> up and comer, just shredders. Like he played very good. He beat me in uh, the second day matchup, like straight up singles. And so he definitely has game. Like he, I don't know. He he put on one of the <laughs> best fighting performances I've seen all year. Wow, and um, so yeah, it was extremely impressive. So I, I definitely think you can probably look forward to seeing his name somewhere in the leaderboards um, on the tour next year. I know he's still kind of in that trapped like May till uh, end of August, beginning of September frame because of um, still being in high school. Pesky school uh-huh. stuff, high school <laughs> stuff. Yeah, yeah exactly. But um, as well from, from Canada, uh, Sophia, uh, she's a fantastic FPO player who's only been playing, uh, I think, for two years. Wow. And I think she's 915 rated at the moment and looking to hopefully play more events and as well potentially um, make her way up to playing a potential like tour events, like ones that are local. Um, she's in, in BC, in Victoria. Uh, so she will hopefully maybe make it up for some of those West Coast um, events. Very nice. Yeah, and, and for those that maybe didn't uh, know, uh, Ryan obviously has done some work here. The only time he's played <laughs> advanced this year were at the two majors, so to speak, uh, that were AM-exclusive majors in that he won the U.S. ADGC, uh, over at the toboggan, he won Am Nats this year, and then he took seventh at Am Worlds uh, just a couple weeks later. That's, that's a, that was a really quick turnaround, but he took seventh at Am Worlds, uh, and he also won the Skill Shot at Am Worlds, 
and he took seventh in putting and fourth in the long drive. And I've heard nothing but just how skilled he is and how dedicated. And then at the end of the day, it turns out he's this incredible human and this really great kid on top of yeah. it. So, uh, yeah, we're certainly going to be seeing and hearing from him plenty more uh, as as time goes on, that's for sure. But interesting to see that it looked like he declined cash at the 21st annual at the Homie Doubles in September, and it looks like he may have declined cash two other times. So that's interesting. I know interesting. I talked to him at the event, and he, I think he had said something along the lines that the next MPO event that he plays, he'll be able to accept cash. Hmm. So I don't know if there was maybe like the NADGT. No, yeah, I didn't see that in there, but I was just going to no. say maybe okay. there's a, like, is he strategically planning a rookie, a, a legit rookie oh, season kind that, of thing? That would make sense. Yeah. You know, yeah. so if he doesn't take any cash this year and then starts off next year. But that would be a rookie season for him and yeah, possibly win rookie that, of the year. I think he's, yeah. I think that's what I he's mean, on to. These kids are too smart. I wouldn't have thought of anything like that. You went to cash either. Though, well, so no. You went to have these problems. I don't have the problems of thinking, hmm, rookie of the year. Hey, listen, if Juliana can do it, I can do it. That's I'm just true. Saying. 20 years later, that's, that's a good point. That's a very good point there. So, uh, well, that's awesome to see. And again, the camaraderie, the, the, you know, the just the overall presence of knowing you guys are with those. 16, 18, 20 people for the weekend, pretty much in some yeah. capacity. Were there any off-course uh, activities or or games or individual team team stuff or, or collectively as a group? What, what were some of the yeah. extracurriculars? Um, so nothing really revolving around the event, but we had like a big um, team dinner with just all the teams um, nice. went out and pretty much – took out the entire back section of a restaurant and um, <laughs> all socialized there, did a little bit of like musical chairs to get to, to kind of talk to everybody. And um, as well, throughout the entire weekend, they, everyone was extremely uh, like caring and uh, sociable. We all had like, it's part of the uh, team tradition, I guess, to uh, give out little like trinkets for from each mm-hmm. uh, country. So, like Canada made up these little packs of uh, maple syrup and instant Tim Hortons coffee and little <laughs> pins and whatnot. So, uh, just leading right into those people. stereotypes, right? Oh, I know. Yeah. <laughs> Are those any? <laughs> the more stereotypical, the better. I think. <laughs> yep. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, that's what we gave out. Columbia gave out some uh, really nice little like bracelets and some homemade. Uh, like guava fruit candy. It was really, really good. And then U.S. gave out a few other little treats as well from um, from some of the spots. Very cool. Yeah, it's that's something else that Johnny and I learned, and I, I would love to see materialize even more, is just overall international play. Like going to Japan in 08 and 2010. Yeah. Like you, you, when you got to the card... Uh, often it was a Japanese competitor that would be the first to come up and then hand you some kind of small gift, uh, whether it's a mini or a keychain or something of that nature. Uh, and I, I've always thought, like, anytime you go international, you got to always have something that you can yeah. possibly, not that you need to exchange, but at least be able to give away to other people on the card. I, I love it. For sure. So 
you're winding down and one of the staples that's been part of your tour life and your overall career for these last few years and and escaping the cold has all been uh, a little bit of a Florida swing of sorts. Uh, you and I've mm-hmm. spent some time down there and and the Florida swing come November and December is is more real than ever before. Yeah. In fact, it feels like they're always happening. This year um is is it just Canada and relaxing or or what's kind of your game plan? Yeah, so I won't be doing the big like A tier swing um, that they got going on right now. I think there's like four A tiers left out in Florida uh, to wrap up the season. Um, I won't be participating in any of those um, this year. Just kind of, I don't know. Last year, I think it went a little bit too crazy and tried to like play it all out, and um, and I think this year just kind of taking it a little bit easier, just like winding down for the season and letting it be an off season. Uh, is also kind of nice, but then still have plans to go down there early January and pretty much uh, use that to kind of ramp up into the actual touring part of the season. And it's nice, particularly because it starts down there next year. Yeah, it for those that have you know kind of settled into that general vicinity, I think of obviously the Oakleys and uh, Page and the Gannons and, you know, everybody just kind of, and then Charlotte and such also not too far away. It's, uh, it's clearly going to be a pretty hot spot for people to be obviously Macbeth's and and others that are already down there in Florida. And I know Mm -hmm. uh, Jessica and uh, double G have decided that uh, that's their spot as opposed to being out in California. So uh, clearly plenty of opportunities uh, what is what is the Canada scene like come winter time? Do do people embrace it and go out, or or yeah. does golf kind of like unofficially halt? I mean, it definitely slows down. Like the the really hardy players, I think, still continue to play. There's little winter leagues and stuff that you can still attend. Obviously, it's not bringing dozens of people um, like the summer leagues do, but usually. Uh, a group of like maybe 10 people will get out and go truck through the snow and um, and still enjoy the course. But uh, putting leagues are a lot more common. I know a bunch of putting leagues start out right about this time of year um, as well as some like little tiny indoor events um, that people can enjoy. But uh, I know that I still go out there pretty much all the time throughout the winter and try to uh, make the most of it. Um, I'm lucky I have a giant frozen lake out in front of uh, my parents' property, and so I, I'll actually do my so-called like quote-unquote field work out on the ice. <laughs> I'll just put on some like uh, ice grippers and go throw it on there. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I was gonna say it's, you you call it field work, or some would call it field work, <laughs> and you have to call it like lake yeah. work or or something. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, a very unique perspective for sure. Um, a few months ago, uh, we were talking about an event going on out in BC and in Canada, uh, way out on the West Coast, of course. But if you were to describe, and clearly you have maybe either, a, I'll call it a bias or an insight or both, mm-hmm. how would you describe the Canadian disc golf scene right now and, and compared to, say, even five years ago? I mean, it's definitely grown exponentially since um, I kind of because I've been in the sport now about seven years. So five years ago, it was just a few little courses and uh, not much of a scene there. Like you kind of felt like you knew 
everybody once mm-hmm. you kind of played on the scene. But now every time I, I go back home, it's like I have twice as many people to meet and uh, interact with as I did when I left. So it, it's growing like crazy. Um, courses are being put in left and right. And as well, I think the cross-country um, sport of disc golf has really grown a lot where it was kind of like, okay, you're either Vancouver, like GTA, or like kind of in the Maritimes, a few little hot spots. Um, but now like Quebec's got a really good scene. I know like Mid-Canada, Manitoba, Alberta, uh, Calgary has like a whole bunch of different um, little scenes that they have grown up quite a bit and um, as well just like really have seen the development. I would say it's still probably about uh, two two to three years behind uh, kind of where the scene is in, in the U.S. just okay. because – like tournament sizes are still not quite there. They're they're still working up to getting uh, like similar amount of A tiers for the areas that they're in. And then as well, uh, like this year we saw the first Silver Series up in Canada, the Discmania Open, and as well trying to grow that presence as well, create more elite level courses to hopefully host more big events in the future. What are some of the challenges, I mean, obviously there's always this comparison to what's happening down here in the U S with so many more people mm-hmm. and so many more courses, but what are some of the challenges that either a tournament director or some of the players face when uh, either trying to run or find big events? Is there any, is there any universal challenge or is it the same as what we have here? I think it's similar. I think right now the places are kind of limited because, um, like you kind of can't just run an A tier in this small town and have people easily be able to travel there. Where I think in the U.S., like any almost anywhere, you can find people within like a three four hour drive that will still kind of flock to that area. Where uh, in Canada, there's really only a couple spots that are kind of set to host um, like a big A tier event like that, where they have enough players and enough people to support the event to really make it successful. So I think that's kind of challenging just because in Canada, our population is so condensed into these little small areas and cities and parts of the country where U.S. it's definitely more widespread. So when we look at some of those possibilities, do you feel that is, is there any distinction or push for a private facility like someone with their own property in their own backyard, like a Maple Hill, you know, those types of scenarios or like a lot of Maine? Or mm-hmm. is are you guys still in a position where hey, there's plenty of public land that you know municipalities are excited to have us on, or is there any difference whatsoever in those two approaches for you guys? Um, I would say it's still about half and half. I know there's a lot of development, um, people getting ideas like, hey, like this could actually be a successful like business, uh, opening like a private course and running big events on it. I know there's, I think, been like two or three big events in the last year that I can remember where uh, I was on like a new privatized course instead of just uh, one of the better um, public like park courses that we have. So I think like that's definitely on the rise and and, uh, looking to develop some better facilities to be able to host events like that in the future. But um, yeah, I would say it's continuing to kind of grow along with all the rest of disc golf in Canada. So knowing that, I haven't 
filmed or played in Canada. And really? clearly it's going to have to happen here at some point, uh, hopefully more than Absolutely. once. Where, yeah. where, where should I be looking or hoping that somebody's going to give me that call and say, hey, can you come out here for a weekend? Or, or who's maybe the most likely to you know, look into having that event with that coverage, uh, large scale, medium scale, whatever the case is? Uh, what are the events or the uh, organizers or courses that might do that? Yeah, I would say um, there's a few events out in, in BC, like the BC Open is one that's always trying to, I think, push to get better. It's been an event for the, the last uh, probably like five or so years now. Let's continue to, to be an A tier and get a little bit bigger. Um, I know Dismania, or sorry, not Dismania, um, the Diameter Open is an event that's going to be between D-Glow and the like northeast swing mm. of uh green mountain and maple hill and they're really hoping that that weekend being placed there will hopefully attract some of the uh touring pros that come up and try to just run a good event there i know a lot of people cut through canada um to go to worlds this year and mm-hmm. it is seven minutes off of that route <laughs> So they're really hoping that people will just kind of settle in and uh, play that tournament that week. So um, perhaps that's another one that uh, you're going to see want to try to draw some attention and maybe get some media out there as well. Um, So those are kind of the main ones. Obviously, PEI is another really good spot that um, I don't know what if there is anything planned currently uh, as as in like big events for next season, but um, that's always a hot spot too. Do you feel like it's, is it the location or is it the timing or any other hurdle or obstacle for why we're not seeing more players go play up there? Um, what, what would you attribute that to, if anything? I think it's, it's honestly just the, the location for the most part, like, to travel up because um, it's it's usually not just an easy little um, stop in in Canada and then come back down and to the U.S. tour. It's very rare that they're actually that close in distance together. Um, like I said, in, in Portland, there and like the that kind of like upper West Coast Pacific Northwest, there's a few events in that same time frame that you could potentially pop up and play and. I think a few players have in the past, but uh, in the most part, it just hasn't really fit that well. Um, so that's why I'm hoping the diameter open will be potentially one that people want to play because it's on that route that people took last year. So that's encouraging. But yeah, I think that's the biggest struggle for most people. I'll play dumb. <laughs> I'll try to. I'll play <laughs> dumb for a moment. How difficult is it for most of the Americans to get in and out? Um, and is that at all a deterrent in terms of getting in and out of the country, um, for anything at the border? Yeah, I think for a lot of them, it's just something new, something that they're not really used to doing is, is crossing that border. So it's kind of like almost a little hurdle that you have to just jump over to commit to doing it. Like it's, it's a really easy process, like really just bring your passport if you have it, um, I know there is some touring pros out there that still haven't renewed their passport or gotten their passport. And so that restricts a few of them. But I think a lot of them just is like, ah, 
do I have to really cross the border? That's so much work. I'm just going <laughs> to skip this one. Sure. And it's like, oh, man, you guys are missing some of the, the fun events that you could potentially be playing up there. Yeah, I that that's what I would think too. Just a little, it's just you know, fact that it's something new, uh, yeah. you get mildly apprehensive, and then all of a sudden you're you know you, th- you start imagining all the worst case scenarios of being stuck there and not being able to leave or, <laughs> or getting kicked out. Yeah, yeah, everything in true. between, I'm sure. Uh, all of those thoughts probably come to mind uh, when yeah. going up there. So uh, I, I'm excited to make it happen. I don't know where or when. I've had a few communications with a few of the different events throughout the years but i certainly would love to find a way to make it happen um you know some of the canadians that we most often see in addition to yourself martin and sandy hendel uh are there others that we um see often that are coming down or that maybe you expect to come down more in 2024 um yeah i know casey hannemeyer um he's Popped on and off of the tour um, a little bit here and there. Um, obviously, Miss Frisbee's Chantel Badinsky. She's mm-hmm. obviously kind of committed to doing more of a tour and I think is planning to continue that next year. Um, obviously, she had that big splash at Rochester um, getting that Silver Series win. And that was really, really awesome for her. Um, and then a couple new players that might pop down. Uh, I think Joe Vanderveen is one of players um, who's really hoping to play a couple tour events. Uh, Kaylin Shat is another player that has those like big aspirations to come and play the tour events. And they're both very good players. I think Joe is uh, like 997, like so right on that thousand threshold. And I think um, Kaylin's up in the high 980s. So, and there's lots of young talent that's kind of emerging or starting to emerge up in Canada who will just kind of take a year or two to really be able to push and uh, make it to one of these these tour stops and hopefully the new um, qualifier format for tour card and stuff might make it possible for some of them to uh, weasel their way into a tour card spot next year no that hasn't been announced yet can't say anything <laughs> Oh well, I'm hopeful that it's a thing. <laughs> <laughs> There's been enough hints that and slip ups from people of the Q series that uh, it, it should be announced relatively soon. I think uh, I when too, yeah. you know you're talking about up and comers and and maybe even just flat out younger players. How how is disc golf revered and and looked upon in terms of whether it's the school systems or or other recreational outlets and such like how is disc golf generally um yeah revered i guess is the best word um i think pretty solid like it's definitely recognized as like a sport um like that is kind of well known within um majority of households in canada i'd say um almost every kind of random person that like kind of asks about what i do it's like oh yeah you know like this frisbee sport, like you might not have heard of it. It's called disc golf. It's like, oh yeah, I know disc golf. I've seen them in the in the park, or a lot of them have like seen it on like little highlight clips and whatnot. So um, I think it's the recognizability is is getting up there pretty good, and um, I think it still will take a little bit for it to be like fully professionally recognized. Um, but I think definitely knowledge uh, as like a as a common sport is. Where we're at right now 
Okay. It, uh, you know, it, it's always funny to describe disc golf. And like you said, it's grown so much in the U.S. where it went from just 10, maybe 15 years ago to be like, what? Like disco golf or like people having no idea what you're talking <laughs> yeah. about, right? Yeah. To now, like you said, quite a few people at least having some semblance or some idea. Having it on CBS, uh, ESPN, yeah, exactly. as and, we're seeing. <laughs> yeah, those types of things. And then you go to your places like Finland or Estonia and everybody you know knows what you're talking about. It feels like yeah. when you're over there and... It's interesting to see as these entire countries, you know, learn to eventually embrace it in some capacity. So, uh, you know, I was talking about others coming in 2024. My one of my stock questions, though, is if if you laid out or when you lay out your 2024 calendar, will there be anything surprising to someone like me or Johnny who's like, oh, he's doing what? What weekend? Like, is is there anything kind of out of the ordinary, or or should we expect a pretty standard looking tour for you next year um i think the biggest kind of change up for me next year will be i think i'm going to kind of move away from prioritizing uh some of the pro tour events and mm. i think um beginning of my season should look pretty standard i think up until jonesboro and then from there on uh it's kind of a mix up right now between canadian events and european events um, so I, I really want to try to prolong my stay in Europe this year just cause I really enjoyed that, um, at all the Euro tours that I played out there and is now, uh, part of the, uh, DGPT Europe, uh, uh-huh. tour, I guess that they're doing out there. And so there's even a little bit more incentive to play those events too. And, um, I think, yeah, just not really worrying as much about like, I had to play every single elite series to try to get every point possible. I think that really like kind of clouded my judgment of what events I wanted to play and what events I enjoyed playing. And so I'm going to definitely be a little more uh, free with my schedule to go play the the events that I think are going to be really worthwhile. Yeah. You actually had a slightly longer stay in Europe than many others. You got there before a couple weeks before everybody and played a few extra events. I thought this, this past Mm -hmm, year. So it it must've stuck with you then. So it definitely did. Yeah. 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 Looking at your specifically at your calendar, we see uh, Euro Tour four, the Swedish Open, Shaletfia number five, uh, PCS of course number was number six, the European Open. Uh, then you stay for the Allen Open, uh, mm-hmm. and then and then you went right to Canada from there. I mean, you you didn't play disc golf in the U.S. for you know almost almost three months or so when it was all or two and a half months. And uh, that was probably one of the, your longest stints of not being here uh, or yeah, playing here, <laughs> right? When you think about it. So clearly, yeah, yeah. Do, do you feel, you know, I love how you just described it. Do you feel like that might become more, common? more yeah, more appealing to more players? And, and, and if yeah. so, why? Like, what about it makes it, should make it appealing to more players? <laughs> I think the, the biggest uh, appeal to it is that it's it's new. Like, I think a okay. lot of the players that have been on the tour for the last, like, four or five years um, have kind of played those same events for those same four or five years are kind of just looking for something new and exciting to, to play. And I know a lot of people that even just went to PCS and European Open were like, oh, my God, this is, this is amazing, <laughs> like... I got to try it. Like Paul knew what he was doing by playing the whole entire Euro tour. And so a lot of people were saying that they're going to have uh, a more extended European trip this year. 
it'll be interesting to see how that affects the U.S. tour. You know, are we? Yeah, are we, yeah, that's you know, true. It, it's it's going to shuffle things if we see yeah. a small or a medium-sized portion of our players head over to Europe. That's going to change the dynamic of the tour finale. Who gets in? The number of points that are had here. I mean, I'll be really curious to see how this all plays out over the next year. Definitely. Uh, and along those lines, not only is it new, you're seeing these majestic places. I don't, I don't know if you find a more beautiful, you know, set of views than you do when you're in Norway. I'll, I've, I've said that now to everyone after touring a lot of those countries. Uh, mm-hmm. How much of your branding and and those experiences, maybe from a more business like perspective, d- does that motivate you at all, or is that going to motivate some of the others, possibly in addition to the you know the the life experiences, but also maybe from a branding and PR perspective? Yeah, I think so. I think it's good to kind of spread yourself out um, and really get that representation all over. Um, I think also another thing that I kind of noticed in the last two years of going to Europe was it was a bit easier to get on coverage in Europe. Um, obviously if a lot of players are going to be doing the same kind of thing this year and have the same idea to plan. So it's going to get more competitive. But, um, for me in, in the, in the U S I was maybe getting like six to eight rounds, um, in like the season on, on like Jomez or, um, gatekeeper, one of those coverages, um, but in Europe, I was on it, I think, almost every tournament in 2022. And then I think in like three different tournaments um, here in in 2023. So it definitely was worthwhile in that sense just to get a little bit uh, more recognition on the media side of things as well and help boost my brand and all that kind of stuff too. And certainly the nicest way you could say that you're poning those bitches over there. Don't start an international uh, thing between Canada and Europe, Terry. We, oh, don't no. need, we don't need any more international issues. <laughs> Could there ever be such a fight as like Canada and, uh, I don't know, Switzerland? I don't think that's even humanly possible. <laughs> or Sweden or something like that. I can only imagine. Of course, I know that's not where you're getting at. But it, it is great to see. And then we're also... I mean, and that's kind of twofold, honestly. We see some of these, you know, bigger household, more recognizable names are offered on coverage. And then sometimes that helps in turn build that media brand. Like when you and a couple other uh, well-known names are then featured and then all of a sudden that, you know, hits within the U.S., next thing you know, we're clicking possibly on a channel that necessarily maybe wouldn't get the exposure in the first place. Yeah. Um, yeah. because it's often just, you know, uh, our European or international players who aren't as well known. So it's kind of funny how like indirectly, you know, you're, you're getting on more coverage, but then you're possibly also helping, you know, maybe a smaller media channel get its feet under itself or, or just continue to grow or whatever the case might be. It's, it's uh, yeah. really cool how that, that can all transpire, I suppose. Well, I love it. And I, I think that's definitely going to be the future is finding more and more of our players that want those life experiences, you know, and, and well, and disc golf is getting to the point now where they can afford it, you know, yeah. five, five, six, yeah. seven years ago, you know, a, a flight to Europe, a $1,500 flight to Europe and back. That was almost a deal breaker. Plus then you're thinking of maybe if you're lucky, you're couch surfing, mm-hmm. but you don't know, you probably have to rent a vehicle like that. 
and the payouts weren't that good. So you knew it was a losing. It's probably still not necessarily a financial gain to head over there, but you are now at least maybe you're lucky if you kind of almost break even as opposed to just yep. five years ago, it was just a deficit. Hands down, you were going to drop five grand probably, and that might not have yeah. worked out for your tour life when you made fifteen grand in a year. So, yeah, mm-hmm, for sure. How's, yeah, how does that Canadian dollar? Uh, how does that Canadian dollar uh, exchange rate work out for you? Is it in your favor? Oh no, not right now. Right now, it's, <laughs> I think a dollar thirty-seven for every U.S. dollar. So. Yeah, not great right now. Okay. <laughs> uh, any anything else? I know we asked about. Yeah, you know, and it's great to get that insight about what the tour might look like. Any other surprises or or out of the ordinary for you in twenty twenty four? Touring vehicle. Who are you touring with? Um, in uh, any other major sponsorships, you know, outside of maybe what you're throwing, is there is there anything else that you can share with us that, or any other insights or projects that are in 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 store for 2024? Um, honestly, not too much. I think majority of it's going to pretty much stay the same and similar to this year. Um, one thing that I'll kind of plug, I guess, is um Black Friday release for Fosspace Athletics. They have the new. Numa coming out, which is a signature putter that I helped design and create. So that's going to be really exciting to have that disc in the hands of more people. So that I'm definitely stoked about. I guess that's kind of more the end of this year, but uh, mm-hmm. yeah, excited for that for sure. What were some of the things that were most like when you go to the drawing board about a putter that you love and that you're helping design mm-hmm. and that you want to, you know, fully embrace and put your name on, what are some of the things that uh, you were looking for? Um, biggest thing was definitely just hand feel. Um, something that I can put in my hand and just immediately feels comfortable. I kind of give that advice to most people when I um, talking about just like selecting a putter. Uh, you can, Put the KC Avior because Calvin uses it and he's really good. But I think personally, the the advice that I give everyone is grab the putter that feels the most comfortable in your hand, and that's going to be what's going to translate to being most comfortable making putts on the green. So I definitely went for hand feel, the the nose angle, the shape of the rim, the bead on the bottom, all those kind of really helped fit my grip on a putter, and I hope as well uh a lot of people will share that love for that feel on this particular disc how about the overall either plastic and or you know rigidity or stiffness to it uh, and then smooth versus gritty like some if we're going to get into hand feel and comfort mm, yeah. what are some of those other components on the disc that you like for a putter? yeah definitely kind of grippy uh grippy plastic uh i used to put with the yeti avr uh oh. when i was on innova the 300 PA3 when I was on Prodigy. And so like kind of that, that slightly tackier um, plastic that you can really get mm-hmm. good spin on. Cause I'm, I am a spin putter. So I like to kind of have that, that grip from my fingertips that I can apply onto the disc. Um, and as well, um, not super stiff, like, like a, like a Casey or like a crazy tough putter would be, but also, um, not crazy soft like uh, I don't know. It's a JK AVR, one of the super soft 
uh, judges or something like that. Or blowfly. It's a nice kind of <laughs> yeah, blowfly. That's really getting to the extremes, but um, yeah, definitely something just in the middle that that feels good and comfortable, like not going to wobble around, but also not feel like a brick in my hand. Excellent. That's uh, that's that's got to be exciting, and I think that also is becoming more and more commonplace with our players. And I I love watching them lean into it in terms of exactly what they want to see in a disc, whether it's a signature model or just a a signature version of a common model, and saying, "Hey, here's yep. the here's how firm I like it. Here's the plastic type, uh, you know, and here's any other adjustments that I like to see on the disc." And I think that's awesome to see. So congratulations, very much so on that. Uh, if, if someone had a company doing X and you're, and you're thinking, man, I'd love a company for X, what might that be? And and I guess what I'm saying is shoes, bags, hats, like you name it. And maybe, uh, probably something maybe you don't already have unless you're, you're looking to swap sponsors right now and make that rude announcement. (laughs) Like, ah, I hate the whale sacks. I'm going no. Um, but is there, is there any product out there that you're like, you know, I could really use a blank sponsor. What, what would that be? Oh man. Um, I mean, can I dream big? Yeah. Yeah. Let's hear it. I would love a flight sponsor. An airline sponsor <laughs> okay. would be terrific. Okay. Um, no, I mean, it, it's definitely, it'd be convenient to, to have um, like a sponsor to help pay for airfares. It would make the decisions to go to different places a lot easier. But uh, I think, yeah, I don't know. Something that makes travel a little more easier, convenient. I know that's something that, every touring player kind of um, wants and uh, kind of wishes that could be a bit easier on almost anybody. So, but I don't know. It's hard to kind of think of some of the things that like you don't have, but um, yeah. Okay. Throw airlines That's fair. Uh, then my follow-up to that is if someone came to you and said, here's our proposition, Thomas, <laughs> We're going to put you in a relatively large RV, one that we'll say has a little bit of size and then therefore division uh, up front, meaning we're going to put you in an RV and we're going to provide a driver for you. They're going to drive you from event to event. And they may or may not be a golfer. They're a hired full-time driver of said RV, which then you are going to reside in. Assuming it was all legit. Yeah, would you would you take up a sponsor on that? Honestly, I probably wouldn't. It's okay. not really like my personality to kind of like live like that on the road. I think I like the freedom of kind of like doing my own thing, and then as well like just being able to be flexible with where I go, where I'm at, and not have limited like this is my space the entire year, my tiny little. RV or, I mean, RVs are, can be big and feel like a lot of room, but I, I don't like to be confined to like the same type of space every single week. Um, so even in like, if Sprint, I mean, I don't know, if, if they just offered me a, a van on the spot, that would be t- very tempting. But um, like, even the idea of van life isn't necessarily what I would go for. Okay. I, I was just thinking like, uh, if you didn't want the driver, and I think you've kind of answered it, if you didn't want the driver because you didn't want the 
the the the notion of like hey it's it's a it's a hired person and then I'm just rolling around in the back doing my own thing but it sounds like just in general you don't want to be in an RV that long going anywhere is is kind of what I gather okay yeah I don't think so huh all right that's, <laughs> that's an interesting <laughs> way to think about it is if somebody said will we You're will looking hire for a new you. gig you start driving? <laughs> Is that your deal, Ter? I like to drive, but not that much because then I would want to take on like nine other roles and responsibilities. I'm talking a straight up, quote unquote, stranger that isn't even a disc golfer. That's like, where do you need to go, Thomas? Take me to the course for practice and take me to the end of the laundry matter, wherever you need to go. Like if somebody yeah. would accept that, that, that would be an, like, cause you're not doing the toughest part. You're not doing the driving, which plenty of people dislike, understandably. Well, yeah. If you got somebody doing that for you, I, I don't know. Yeah. Just just an idea. <laughs> Maybe there's a business model here. I don't know. 10 more years, 15 more years, just self-driving vehicles. You, you'll be out of a job, Terry. That, that's true. That's true. All right. Uh, before we let you go, uh, another random question that pops up in my brain is, give us your... Your guilty pleasure out on the tour, something that, or or even a surprising, um, tick or or unique thing that you do, or a guilty pleasure. I was going to say you eat at this random. I was going to say Dairy Queen. Cra- yeah, crappy I, I chain restaurant. <laughs> you know, or or uh, you know, I, I, you name it. I'm not even going to give up any more suggestions. Right. What's something that would people be like? Really, Thomas, you you do that here, huh? Um, I would say probably finding the best escape rooms in each city and trying to go do those. I know I did that quite a bit this year. I probably visited maybe like 15 different escape rooms, um, in different cities, like throughout the entire season. And so that's kind of something that's like, oh, like, oh, this is a nice way to kind of wind down the end of the day or, um, finish off like a practice round is like get together a small group of people and go do an escape room. I think it all like stressed out <laughs> yeah, about trying I, to escape. All I was thinking know. is like, I, that, I, that doesn't I, seem I, relaxing. Like, I, people yelling at each know, other and give, not getting clues. I think I've done two escape rooms and neither of them. I thought like, <laughs> yeah, just wind down. No, it's always somebody yelling at someone. No, look over there. Look in the book. It's the third page yeah. and the fifth word. That's the secret password. <laughs> please, please, with all that, tell me you are do- doing some form of list and or rating system because you you should be selling or sharing this with somebody of like, here's the top, here, here's the 50 escape rooms I've been to and here's the top 10 in the country. Please tell me you're yeah, putting a list got, together. We, we got a list. We got a okay. list created. All right. All right. I think that's some really good information. Uh, mm-hmm. that uh, that you could you know secretly or or quietly share with others about where to go and uh, what do you what do you most look for in an escape room experience escaping <laughs> I would say um, uh, what's the word for it? just like how real it feels like how mm. lost you can get in the fact that you aren't just in some room in some random building, but like you actually feel like you're in a different setting. So I guess like the atmosphere of the room Mm -hmm. is the biggest thing that I kind of look for. Um, Obviously the puzzles um, I want to be really good and challenging, but still solvable. Um, But I think like if a theme of a room can really like 
make me feel like I'm there, that's always what makes it the most enjoyable. What? Uh, that's a great answer. And then my follow-up to that is what is, what is like the price span or range that you've experienced? And, and, and does price necessarily dictate quality? Have you experienced that? Like, Hey, we paid X amount and this was a great experience or, you know, we went into the budget one and we got a budget experiences. Uh, what, what, what's an average price point that you would expect to pay or someone should expect to pay? Um, I mean, it's definitely ranged between, I would say, I think it's 20 for is like a pretty cheap escape room per person. And then, um, 50 is kind of like the higher end. Like I think, uh, we did one in Las Vegas that might've been like 60 or 70 per person. Um, and I would say for the most part, yeah, you're going to kind of pay what you, um, what you get for it. And so it's like, uh, definitely some really good ones for a little bit cheaper of a cost. Um, some really kind of like, ah, that was really good, but was it $60 good? (laughs) I don't, I don't know. Um, but I know like kind of to just throw out a random place on the tour, Nashville actually for um, Music City Open had really good escape rooms um, for really solid price point. I think it might have been like $25 a person and like definitely I would say two out of my top five escape rooms I've ever played is is in Nashville. Cool. Good to know. Again, I now I know. I feel much better about this. I know uh, <laughs> if I'm ever looking for one of those experiences uh, out on the tour, I'm going to come hit you up for yeah. your for your uh, recommendations. Uh, so, uh, do do you do them more than anyone else? Mm, I'm I'm kind of in the middle. I'd say, or for people that do escape rooms, I know uh, Katrina Allen does a lot mm-hmm. of escape rooms. Um, Kevin Kiefer had done a lot of escape rooms with me. Okay. Um, and then probably the king is calling that he's, he's done hundreds. <laughs> huh? Like he loves that, the like problem solving and puzzle, uh, solving of escape rooms. And so he, he just like, he loves grinding them out and he'll, he'll do quite a few of them, uh, pretty often. Uh, you gotta wonder if that's really like a deep seated, like rooted, some other problem. He's just trying to work out in his life. <laughs> trying to feel trapped or, or I, I don't know. I'm not going to postulate here at all or speculate in any capacity. He's a new but. dad, Terry. Let's, let's ease off on him. No, no. Yeah. This was, this was pre dad stuff though. But, uh, uh, how, how good, how good is he at doing them? He's good. He's definitely got the strategy and like, he has a knowledge of like what to look for, what kind of things will lead to another, being able to kind of put some of the pieces together that like, cause in separate rooms, there might be different pieces that like you need this from this room, this from that room. And like, he can kind of conceptualize and see the, how they all fit together really well, which I think is part of the skill of like learning how to do escape rooms um, is seeing how it, the steps all sync up together to be able to escape um oh. and he yeah he's pretty good at that okay well i want to do an escape room with paul yeah wow get in line man i'm now selling that experience uh yeah. <laughs> no uh i will go on record uh, i will put myself on blast if you go back a number of episodes I, we were definitely at your old house i know if you go back a few years on our podcast which just celebrated nine years as of three days ago oh, yeah 
Uh, go back and a couple of probably I don't even know how many now, but I said escape rooms are a fad. They're gonna die. They're gonna go away because <laughs> uh, they had hit this peak, uh, yeah. and I thought they were just. I truly just thought they were a fad, and we see plenty of fads sure. come and go. But I yeah. really thought they were already peaking, and clearly I think they're on the decline from where they once peaked. But I thought they would be all but gone and and all demolished and not even exist anymore. I thought it's, it was going to come and go that quickly. So I'll put myself on blast. Nobody else is holding me accountable. So I'll I'll do so here that I was, yeah, I was incorrect. I don't believe they're as popular as they were four or five years ago. But it's such a uh, quote-unquote easy thing because all you need is, an, uh, I'll say abandoned, an empty business space. And you can create yeah. one. And obviously... Better, you can create better ones with the more space you have or, you know, the unique spaces you have. But it's just, yeah, it's an interesting time we're in. Huh. Mm-hmm. Again. <laughs> anyway. All right, Thomas. Uh, I think we've got plenty of great info out of you, as we would expect. Uh, before we let you go. Any... Now, in order to leave the podcast, <laughs> yes. you need to find the magic key. <laughs> uh, what we need for you, actually, is to instead... Any shout-outs, sponsors, recognition, uh, things you'd love to uh, specifically call out or highlight, anything like that, uh, you got the floor, and uh, plug away. Uh, thanks so much to... <laughs> it took me a second. <laughs> we lost him. What's the password, Thomas? <laughs> I'm serious. Oh, we that wasn't you? No, that wasn't me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that would be the ultimate exit if if that really is him. Yeah, really? no, that, just lost him. Just, just literally just lost him. <laughs> All right. Well, oh, if he pops back on, I mean, I'll say that <laughs> he clearly doesn't have an escape room sponsor. <laughs> uh, definitely Thought Space Athletics. You know, he wants to thank them 100. percent <laughs> uh, <laughs> sure, that that couldn't have been any more fitting per the conversation i i, I was waiting black yeah I, his I'm, I'm guessing his phone ran out of power all right it looks like it guess. looks like we've got him oh, back here we go for one last second we can let him close <laughs> that, either that or it was really clever on your part either way uh thomas the floor is yours if you want to uh shout anyone out to uh close us out here um yeah just thanks for having me on thanks to all my sponsors for supporting me uh yeah almost time to perfectly my phone battery but not quite um Nailed so it. yeah thanks to you guys again and uh just a little nugget i'll throw out there is uh that there's a lot of again i think everyone thinks it's going to be a quiet off season but i think there's still some excitement that's going to shake up that's all i'll say though Mm, well, uh, Taylor uh, Swift I, likes to drop those. Shake it off. He says, "Shake it up." I, yeah, I'm picking up your clues. I, 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 I want one more. I want one more clue. Is it? Do you think we're going to see someone who's currently in a contract move? Oh, like break a contract? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I don't think we're going to see a break. As far as I okay, no, I don't think they're in contract. But there's a couple big, uh, big yeah. fish that might try to swim out of the pond. Dang. Okay. Across the pond? Out of the pond? Mm, I don't know. I don't know. All right. I, I, we know. I know that you know all the goods, and I'm definitely not going <laughs> to 
to uh, even attempt to trick her or pressure you into any of those. But uh, we know you're the man that always knows what's going on, and uh, we very much appreciate that. And, uh, yeah, I... I, uh, I love it. Thanks, thanks for the tidbit because uh, I've been hearing some of the same rumblings, and I, I uh, mm-hmm. yeah, trust Thomas. I think that's the name of the game here. Well, again, thank you for joining us. Thank you for breaking down the tournament this weekend. Congratulations on not only being selected, but then going there, having the experience that you did, along with uh, you know being part of the inaugural year and the uh, the very first ever. You'll forever have that in your back pocket as well. And uh, excuse yep. me, clearly a great representative of Canada. And then some, yes, nice, uh, the medal. Oh, that's a beautiful yeah, medal. medal. Heck yeah, we love it. There it is. All right, Thomas Gilbert, your gold medal is from the weekend. Thank you for joining us and uh, looking forward to talking to you a little later in the off season. Stay, stay warm okay. and stay safe out there. Thank you so much, guys. All right, Thanks, Thomas. Care. See ya. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The awesome. same will let him go the way it's supposed to go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm telling you, that was almost like it was planned. Well, and the, was... the funny thing was that kind of happened to us, what, last weekend or the week before is someone was thanking their sponsor. It just cut out <laughs> on them. And yep. so I was like, oh, it happened again. But no, it wasn't us. That was, he admitted his battery was a battery issue. Yes. So let's talk a little bit real quick about events that happened over the weekend. The 2023 Lake County Trailblazer, driven by Innova Pro Weekend. This was in Eustis, Florida. Andrew Marweed wins this one by two strokes. Come back on the final round. He shot four better than Joey Buckets to win $1,370 over Joey, who only won $935. Rough weekend for Joey. <laughs> Joey, uh, who also, I'll, I'll just interrupt I, quickly. Joey, who uh, has, I think, signed for now a four-year deal, right, with Castaplast. Two-year. Just kidding. At least two years with Castaplast. Uh, I want to get. I didn't know you had that queued up. I, I was going to. I was going to talk about that. Right all after, right, go ahead. Right, literally right after we talked about this because he was in here, but you nailed it. So uh, in tied for third place, Gavin Rathbun and Jared Stoll, and tied for fifth place, Gavin Phillips and Braden Sides. Over on the FPO side, Holly Finley takes this down by a single stroke, getting one stroke on the final round. So they went into this one tied with, or maybe it's close. I can't do math. Uh, Morgan Linz in second place with Jessica Weiss in third place, Sarah Hokum in fourth place, and the other Linz twin, Jordan Linz, in fifth 
place. We're going to move right on over to the Dynamic Disc Presents, the sixth annual Northwest Arkansas Open, sponsored by Flyway Brewing Company. This was over in Arkansas, no surprise. Really? Yeah, who would have guessed that? First place, Andrew Presnell in a playoff win over Nico LaCastro. Third place, Zachary Nash. And a tie for fourth place between uh, Abraham Bahana and Logan Porter. Over on the FPO side, Katie Belty wins this by five strokes, taking home $522 over Cat Merch. So a, a, an upset, I would say, relatively big, considering Katie is only a 903 rated player, not a tour player like Cat Merch is. So this was uh, a little bit of an upset there. So congratulations to Katie Belty over in Arkansas. Then we're going to go over to the shootout at Graham Creek X, which is probably 10, sponsored by Dynamic Discs. Benjamin Fulford wins $1,500 at this A-tier, shooting a 22-under tied with Christopher Downey, who only won 1040 so you can deduce that he won in a playoff. Mm. Mm, third place, A.J. Carey. Fourth place, Silas Williams. And fifth place, Scott Watson. Moving over to the FPO, Deanne Carey taking this one down, just squeaking out an 18-stroke victory over Wisconsin local Lindsay Fish. I don't know if she even lives here. She still claims this as her home. Lindsay Fish, a 903-rated player, takes home $470. And in third place, Anna Pinter. So congratulations. Those are your A-tiers. There is one more. I guess I'll talk about it. One more A-tier over in New Zealand. It's the Moonbase 9 Twizzle 2023 New Zealand South Island Championships, not the North Island Championships. The North Island Championships, a bunch of chumps. Uh, well, you know, just saying. No, the South Island's where it's at. It is, and this, everyone will tell you, you got to go to the South Island. That's where uh, that one movie took place, Lord of the Rings. Yeah, that thing. Yeah, uh, it's 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 always funny that the second New Zealand gets brought up, that's where everybody tells you you have to go, no matter what. Got to go to the Shire. I was just happy to visit New Zealand. I didn't care where I was. I was on the North Island. It'd be a cool experience. I got to see some black sand. In first place, Levi Stout wins this one by four strokes over uh, Jasper. Jasper? Jasper? I'm going to go Jasper because go with Jasper. Jasper Vandermeer. In third place, Jackson Sullivan. Fourth place, Ryan Cambridge. And a tie for fifth between Ashton Clark and Sebastian Falconer. In the FBO field, you've got Haley Flintoff. Beating Echo Lee by 14 strokes. So congratulations to Haley. That is your wrap-up of the A-tiers. Nice and quick the way it should be done. Echo tying for a second there with uh, Alexandria Williams, I believe. Oh, did I miss that? Well, yeah, we'll just get that in there because you mentioned her. So they had the tie. I will quickly recap my uh, wonderful experience of course i was at the phoenix ladies open presented by paul j sacco law offices or law offices of paul j sacco 17th annual it's been incredible to see i've seen a number of different tds uh, host this throughout the the years it's because the torch has been continuously passed around and when it was all said and done, Stacy Charles, I know, is one that's been there every year along with uh, Paul J. Sacco. And then various TDs and, and incredible staff have taken it on year after year and have helped out. If you don't want to know the results, because I'm going to post the post-production coverage, close your ears for the next minute or so. Uh, I'm going to read off the FPO, and I'll release the coverage later on this week. 
But your champion, Sheila May Lai, uh, otherwise known as Shelly May or just Shelly. So keep that in your back pocket in case you get confused later about some pronunciations. <laughs> she goes by just Shelly, uh, which is uh, awesome to see her take things down. She does so in a one-stroke fashion over Hannah Stavanovich. Hannah, uh, who is engaged to one Nick Newton, who celebrates a birthday today. So I'm going to get them all in at once. Happy birthday to you, Nick. Good to see you guys. Violet Maine taking third place. Carissa Dedman taking fourth. You'll see all four of those women in the second round coverage of the FPO. Quickly read down a few of our other champions. Jenny Umstead taking it down in FP40. Valerie Steinboom. Steinbaum taking it down in FP50. Dana Merritt in FP55. Patricia Miller had a day. Damn, did she have a day. Winning FP60. She did so in a playoff, and she hit an ace for the ace pool. That's a good day. It's a dang good day. And says her and her son, Stephen, are going to try to come over to Thailand in probably 2025. So not the 24 version in a few months, but come over and play in that event in 2025. So congrats to all of them. And then congrats to all of our amateur winners as well. When it was all said and done, I think there was like 17 uh, women's divisions represented. The junior girls played just one round in the afternoon, which I think is a great uh, way to go about this event, you know, and we see that at a lot of different events, different ways to try to make it as not only as warm and inviting, but then also to make it as enjoyable for as many as possible. And let's be honest, there's a lot of juniors who may only play one or two events a year that may not feel like a full day of playing is in the cards for them or is exciting to them. Some do, of course, and some don't. But uh, so, and they could play in another division if they wanted to play both rounds. But our junior girls uh, were playing just the one afternoon round. Something else that's really unique about this event is the fact that there's 20 holes that are set up on the north side of the Vista del Camino course that kind of mostly resembles what you would see if you went and played the course today, for instance. And then there's an 18 hole temporary course that's set up on the south side. So, you know, where we normally have those six holes for the Vista XL layout, like for the Memorial and the Shelly Sharp, that same property actually has an 18 hole temporary layout. So obviously much shorter. Yeah, that must be like a pitch and putt almost. It's, that would be it's fun. considerably shorter for uh, some of our, uh, you know, older players, some of our, uh, you know, juniors age players and just some of your, uh, you know, newer divisions in I'd terms of that. competing. Yeah. You maybe would shoot under par. Ugh, I don't know. I don't know. There's a lot of water out there. Too. <laughs> there <laughs> is. Yeah. So uh, it's very cool. They have an 18 hole course, a 20 hole course. Uh, and uh, whatever course you're on, you're on it for the whole day. So you get to know it. And so big shout out, of course, goes to uh, Paul J. Sacco, your presenting sponsor, the lawyer there on site. If you need anything uh, when it comes to uh, any of your legal needs, Paul is definitely the guy you want to reach out to over there. And then uh, Jamie and her mom, Jan, and sister, Janine, uh, just Caitlin, uh, Paul, all the people that did so much to make the event go along with Chris Cobb and all the other sponsors. Tim is the, I believe the volunteer coordinator and then all the volunteers that showed up. And then obviously all of the additional sponsors that were part of it. My boy, spicy boy was out there and, uh, helped with a little bit of the coverage. Everyone had a, a really good time from what we could see. And when it was all said and done, what was it, 124 or 126 total participants? Uh, ended up being 122 when it was all said and done. Participants, all women. 
enjoying Vista del Camino for the weekend. It was uh, it was absolutely awesome. So I think I said Chris Cobb. Thank you. Thank you to everyone that was out there in any part of it. And last but not least, my main supporters that definitely come through as always. Uh, big shout out to Dan and Robin over at First Light. Uh, they always find a way to take care of me in every possible way. And, and coverage in Arizona wouldn't happen as often or as frequently as it does without the support of Dan and Robin and First Light. And uh, yeah, so big shout out to them. Thank you guys. I really appreciate it. The only other real news we have is some sponsorship news. Obviously, like you had said, Joey Anderson, affectionately known as Joey Bucket, signed two years with Castaplast, but also there's an extension for Casey White. Casey White signed a one-year extension through the 2024 season with Discmania. So you can get them Skywalker discs. Get it. Casey White. Okay. I like it. Yep. I like it. There's your there's your update for sponsorship. Did, did we mention, uh, yeah, I guess this specifically Carter Aaron's. That was a few weeks ago. We yeah. talked about, we briefly talked about that. Uh, he, did we he, know that it was one year, though? I don't think we knew it was one year, okay. but he did. Obviously, he did move to Lone Star, and he's going to get. I think we talked about him getting a, a deal and unknown exactly as far as that one year deal. He's still young. He's still in high school. No. So a one year deal. I, 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 it's hard to know exactly what his plans are going to be for the season. I'm sure he's going to try to probably tour in the summer, but like we were talking with Thomas, I, I, I'll say this. I don't believe, if I recall from Portland, now I'm already getting fuzzy. My memory, at least. I don't believe he's doing like traditional schooling. Yeah, nine to five, you no. know, September to, to June schooling. Um, but you're right. He still is of that age, though, overall. Young. So even though he looks like he's 27 <laughs> and would beat us both up, and, he could beat you up with his left like, hand while yeah. beating me up with his right yeah. hand all at the same time. I know. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And uh, he, he's still he's still only like 17 years old or 16, yeah. maybe. I don't even know. But he's definitely uh, that kid. And another news, which you briefly touched on, but I'll go ahead and repeat tomorrow. You're watching this live or listening to us live. Tomorrow, the CBS Sports Network has the co-produced by Disc Golf Network and Joe Mez. That's on Wednesday the 15th. Wednesday the 15th, the PDGA World Championship starting at 7 p.m. Eastern. I'm looking at a graphic right now. And then uh, in 12 days after that, we have the USDGC and Throw Pink Women's Championship. Can't wait to see who wins. And then a couple weeks after that, we'll have the Disc Golf Pro Tour Championship. Also, all on CBS Sports. That's on December 11th, Monday, December 11th, Monday, November 27th for the Throw Pink and USDGC, and then Wednesday the 15th, as in tomorrow for us, um, will be the world. So, uh, I'm going to send out a message or two because I literally I have no idea. Clearly, I haven't seen any of that that they put together. I. <laughs> I didn't, whenever we've had some of these, I've had to sometimes go in and do a couple of additional, like very brief voiceovers, like where it would maybe take us from, or, or there would just need to be a segment where it would say like, you know, Heimberg for birdie, like that wasn't said during the live broadcast and they need it as part of this, the overall edit. I was not asked to do any of those, hmm. which leads me to <laughs> think either I nailed the broadcast 
Yeah, that's what mm-hmm. I would think. Or maybe it's going to be more of a uh what were you Yuli Germ Sexton? Well, not for well, maybe because it's it's Jomez Pro with the Pro Tour. Point is, I don't know where they're grabbing what from. Either way, I wasn't in the booth for Worlds. No, I know so that that's much. why I was going to say you probably. But I also, uh, and I wasn't in the booth for, for Throw Pink and USDGC. Those might not be done yet. The Pro Tour Championship on the 11th, I was in the booth for. And um, I'm. So I, I don't. My point is, I know what's been done previously for some of these, you know, network releases. I don't know what they look or sound like. Maybe it was the quality of your work that they didn't ask you back. <laughs> Shut up. It very, very well could have been. But anyway, I don't know what they're going to look or sound like is, I guess, my point. I know I wasn't asked to do anything. Maybe I just nailed it. Maybe. Maybe not. Maybe not. Wow, is that is that all we have for news, Johnny? I mean, that's are... all we have for news. There's a few talking points. If you want to quickly touch on a, mm. a thing or two, they've uh, this is more social media stuff that mm. has come up. This particular is a release from UDisc showing the Disc Golf Pro Tour stats. Who was the best in 2023? Um, there's a bunch of links. Terry, do you want to random a guess at who the best Circle One putter? Was in 2023. Have you looked at this at all? I have not. Oh, I haven't. I haven't, e- I haven't either. Uh, circle one. In the power. past, we've seen like Matt Bell. We've seen uh, yeah. Andrew Marweed has been a champion for years. Yeah, I was gonna say like I feel like. Um, who is the 2023 putter of the year? Yeah, it's funny. I'd- I'm just going to uh, go with a default of Andrew Marweed. All right. And. Oh. Or Eagle oh. McMahon. Eagle McMahon might be. Oh. I, how many opportunities? Da, 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 injury, da, da. I'm going to go Eagle McMahon. Well, you'd be wrong. Okay. It'd be Andrew Marweed. Damn it. <laughs> Seriously? Yeah. Andrew Marweed at 93.1%. 3% better. Then the next closest person, which is James Proctor at 90%, which is really funny because I think, unfortunately, the lasting memory we're going to have of James from the 2023 season was him missing uh, a couple easy putts on that last round. But overall, I already forgot about him. Well, I didn't. (laughs) Sorry, James. No, I forgot about those putts, not James. No, I know. Just to be very clear. No, I I know. I was going to say, Pepperidge Farms remembers. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah, Andrew Marweed, so 93. He had 620 putts made out of 666 attempts. Dang. So that is your best putter in MPO. Uh, Eagle was down in ninth. Eagle was uh, in ninth. At 88%. And no offense to him. It's always a great thing when you say you start yeah, something yeah. out. Yeah. Don't <laughs> uh, Paul Ulibarri in sixth place. Oh, you can be shocked. I, I'm a little bit considering he has talked about and we've talked about with him his history of poor putting, constantly changing up his form for Daily. years. Every year he would have a different form. Or every month. Or every month. Or every tournament. Sometimes every tournament. Or every front and back night. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> but but there was a, a great stat on social media about how he has progressively gotten better and better and better at his circle one putts. And so he made 
611 out of 690 circle one putts. Hmm. So, oddly, he always kept score, too. And I was just going to say, did... (laughs) Uh, he, he had second most attempts on the list as well. Yeah. How's the circle two doing? How's the C1 in regulation? These are C1X, so they don't count the tap ins here. Yeah, no, I know. They don't count the tap ins. All right. Okay. Uh, you're going to probably. Uh, I, I was going to ask you. Uh, well, well, I guess we're going to go by MPO. I don't know how the article is formatted. Who do you think is the best circle two putter in MPO? Uh, I mean. By the looks of round one at Las Vegas Challenge, spoiler, uh, you would think Cam Messerschmidt. He didn't. He didn't but play. He's as, always been known as a great. I putter. mean, seriously, but he was putting on a clinic out there. But he didn't. He was not um, on tour very no, much. No, he was not, and that's why. That's why I, I can don't know back if he that qualified. I would say. I mean, Marweed seems like a no-brainer to go after. Uh, Gannon Burr always talks about wanting that. I'm going to say Gannon Burr. He he mm. talked about it and or is at least close because I know he talked about it all the time. And I'm going to say Gannon Burr. All right. Gannon Burr. Hey. Congratulations. 40%. Damn. He made 167 out of 413. In second place, Matty O. In third place, I would say an outlier, but... Only a, because he only had 54 attempts. Only had 54 attempts. That's probably, what, two events? Um, maybe even one event. Who knows? Uh, Nate Metzler, 20 out of 54. And then fourth place, Ricky Wysocki. And fifth place, James Proctor. So Proctor, just a pretty good putt, all-around putter. Uh, if, you're in the, if you're in the top five in both C1X and C2 putts, there's a reason why Proctor had such a good season. Yeah, and, and what's even surprising is to see Corey Ellis is he not in the? Was he not in the top ten? Scroll back up, please. He, in terms of he was not in the, not top, in 10, the top ten, which is a surprise because he's surprise. A, he is a very good putter, and I think this was just maybe an off off season for him. I think next year you'll see him back up on the thing. So uh, longest streaks with no missed circle one putts, mm, as in like number of holes. I so, total. I holes? didn't. I didn't look at the details, okay. Terry. I'm just going to read the big headline. Yeah, I, I, I'm just pulling out of the thin air. Like who? I'm gonna say like a, it's probably somebody in that top ten, right? I, yeah, maybe. Or I was gonna say like a Cole Radalin, who's not in there, but then has these streaks. Yeah, he's got are, he goes on birdie streaks. I don't he, know. Yeah, I'm gonna say Cole Radalin. I'm just gonna okay. pick a name out of a I'm gonna, thin air. Here. I'm gonna take number three on this list, Chandler Fry. Okay, and it is Eulabari, hundred and forty eight. No misses in C1 streak. Damn. Now, that's C1. That's not C1X. Uh, okay. So that includes tap-ins. It but does. still, it doesn't yeah, matter. It's I'm, still impressive. It's still impressive. 148. He went from the preserve all the way to the on uh, round three to the European Open round three. So huh. that's great. Then Ezra Aderhold, who is not necessarily known as a, as a phenomenal putter. But again, this is C1, not C1X. So Ezra at 138 straight ones, and it takes a little drop down to uh, James Proctor. Best throwers in the Pro Disc Golf 2023 MPO. I don't know what they're using. Most impressive distance shots. Calvin Heimberg. (laughs) Probably. Anthony Barella. Okay. Okay. With a 638-foot shot. Wait, is this just getting? I think this might be just a little more subjective. A little more subjective. Well, this is distance, Most probably distance to parked ratio or ratio is not uh, the right word, but a six hundred and thirty-eight foot parked shot 
is maybe it's the like the longest parked shot that there was. Yeah, Idlewild Hole one. Okay, I get it. I see where they're going with this. Yeah, yeah. So like coolest longest park job. That's like coolest, but longest park job. Yeah. Well, they sometimes are synonymous. I suppose. Uh, yeah. Highest precise power index. The PPI. Oh, the PPI. Calvin Heimberg. Uh, Calvin yes! Heimberg. <laughs> Calvin Heimberg, then Simon Lazat, uh, Oskari Wikström, Yuna Heinonen, Yalte Jensen. Okay. Look at that. Uh, someone asked on the board, where can you find this? This is udisc.com slash blog slash post slash best pro disc golf stats. 20, if you 20, go to udisc.com, you'll see it, it under their more recent, most recent announcements. Yeah, I will uh, uh, yeah, grab all, it for you. All the stats here are, are with links. Um, yeah, here we go. Best, I'll, I'll put the link out there. Best for fairway you. hits. Who was our most accurate player this year, Terry? Would you say off the tee? Calvin Heimberg. I'm going to go Calvin. Uh, it's basically Calvin, but above him is <laughs> Albert Heitnen at 81.2%, 130. Now, this probably also does include the European event, so 134 isn't. Their fairways are bigger. Their fairways are bigger. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Totally um, he no, he is, he is 165 throws. So that's probably he's probably a one tournament player on, on UDisc with 165 throws. You're looking at three rounds, yeah. So versus Calvin's 1500 attempts. 1500 attempts. I, I'm yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll I'll take Kelvin over that. Even Kale number three. I I almost want to scratch him because he's got a 236 36 attempts. Uh, then followed it up uh, with with Otto, and then fifth place Isaac Robinson with seventeen hundred attempts. What is a fairway? Don't ask Johnny. The biggest, yeah, <laughs> the biggest jumps in the disc golf world rankings. Who went from low to high, Terry? Uh, Who, and we're talking only MPO. I think so. we're talking only MPO. Who's cruddy last year and good this year? Yeah, I, I mean, obviously this is a compliment. <laughs> okay, Terry. Ezra Robinson. Would come to mind Ezra. That's a really good. That's a really good guess. Ezra would come to mind as a, as a gentleman that really you know kind of popped off at various stages, uh, mm. and we saw him jump a, up. It looks like it's a lot of overseas players. Okay, so what you've got is uh, mm. Becca Hyvenen went from 139th up to 77th. So that was a jump of 62, tied with Nestori uh, Tukanen. Same type of jump. And after that, Zach Arlinghouse. Mm, so a okay. rookie. Zach had a good year. And then Cole Rodolin at 43. So those are all you know, players. Zach makes a lot of sense. He was 120th. He really got on the tour this year. And he, we knew he was going to be a pretty solid. He was actually going to be one of my sleepers this year. He didn't quite pan out in fantasy like I thought he would. I thought he would pop up a little bit more. And James Proctor, who had a poor season last year at 41, jumping up to 16. Mm. That first I, I guess I've always just thought of him as so good that he, I, I he wouldn't is. have. He's been so good for so long, but that first year that he really kind of jumped on tour last year, 2022, he played like poop. Yeah, okay. So, sorry, James. Uh, sorry, James, but I think you'd admit that too. The P word. The poop. Um, best at keeping it clean and scoring under Ezra par. Ezra was on that list, by the way, just above James. Yes, good yeah. jump on, on Ezra Robinson. That was a good call. That was a good pull on you, Terry. Best at keeping it clean and scoring under par. Highest birdie rates. Oh, that's got to be Calvin. Calvin, Eagle, Rick, Cole. No, Uh, not Cole. Cole loved... He loved himself some birdie streaks. Oh, and scoring, keeping it clean and scoring under par? Yeah, no, he loved to... Love to give him back. Yeah, he did. He, did. he, he loved he, to have a phenomenal season and three doubles or whatever <laughs> or three bogeys. Uh, all right, number one, yeah, Calvin, Calvin Heimberg, Shocker. Eagle, Ricky, Gannon, 
Paul, Bobby okay. Veilman. It's almost like these are recipes to success. Mm. Most Eagles in 2023, Terry. Would it be Eagle? Does he get one automatically for his name? Eagle, Simon, Calvin all come to mind. Double G? Double G's obviously good distance. Eagle, Simon, Calvin. I, I'm, I'm just going to go with the default. It's got to be it's Calvin. Calvin was 17. And Aaron Gossage at 13. Yeah. Anthony Brella at 12. Um, longest bogey-free streak. 2023, Tara. Um, bogey free. I've been bogey free on the tour for a long time. Uh, yeah, yeah. You've yet to take one. <laughs> I've yet to take a bogey. Uh, I don't know. I think you do in the control room once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> Easy there. Easy there. <laughs> I'm not the one in front of the camera saying stupid things. I never things. f up. See, <laughs> it's so much easier for me. Uh, uh uh, either a Dickerson or a Robinson. I'm going to say bogey-free. Mm. Bogey-free bogey streaks. Uh, Isaac Robinson. Eagle McMahon, Damn it, 95. He was the next person I and was going to And then Paul Ullman at 75. Okay. Nico and Matty O at 70. Uh, longest birdie streaks. In, I'm going to go with Calvin. Dude had a lot of them. He had to rack up a birdie streak in there, right? Uh, did he? I don't know. Um, well, I, they're not pulling from Chandler Fry's uh, recent scorecard. That was no, who shot, what, 19 under or 18 under? Was that in in uh, in uh, over in Egypt or not Egypt, uh, <laughs> Africa? Or, uh, no. Uh, no, it was it was local. Was that local? Was, I, I really thought that was over at the international event that they played or put on. Oh, was no? it? I, I don't know. Oh, maybe it was. I, I I wasn't sure, but I didn't think they were well, over there quite local. yet. I think it was well local U.S. I'm saying local U.S. Yeah, uh, longest birdie streaks. Uh James Conrad. Did, was was his birdie streak that I'm long? I'm gonna go yet? James Proctor. Miro Runinen at 16, tied with Colin Schott at 16, and then Isaac Robinson at 12, tied with Ricky at 12. Hmm. Uh, in a row. Okay. We're almost through this, Terry. Longest boat uh lowest bogey rates. Calvin. Calvin. Paul Kranz. Then Kale Laviska. Then Paul Macbeth. Hmm. Calvin was fourth on this list at eight point nine. With and but, if you add up Kranz, Laviska, and Macbeth, you still mm-hmm. don't have as many holes played as Calvin. Uh, or as many opportunities. True. Paul had, a, I would say, a, a good sample size. The rest of them only looked like one event. So, but Paul obviously had a, a a pretty solid event, a pretty solid statistical analysis. Uh, best scramble rates. I'm going to go with Ricky. Yeah, that's that's. I think uh, it's actually Martin Bronstrom and then Scott Stokely, both at small scramble attempts. But scramble attempts aren't necessarily. Think Paul, then Paul McBeth at 188, hmm. and then Eagle McMahon. Ricky, not even on the list. Best at keeping, best at keeping on, keeping on. So bounce back rates, as in getting, basically following up a bogey or worse with an a birdie, a birdie or, or better. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm gonna go <laughs> Cole Rodallin. I was gonna say Cole, but I'm gonna go Ezra Aderhold. Mm, that, that would be uh, potentially a good guess. Both of those guys are prone to bogeys. And a lot of ways, because I did see a statistic that said um, uh, 
and it, I don't think it was Udisk that posted this that as that uh, Ezra Aderhold was like one of the top birdie percentages, but also one of the top bogey percentages. Yeah, that sounds so about right. That's a that's a good guess. It's actually Ricky who had a fifty five point one percent bounce back rate. So. He had 127 chances, which probably means he had 127 bogeys or worse, with a successful of 70. And then it goes Calvin, uh, Josh Anton, Nestori, Eagle, Michael Joe. Ezra Aderhold was on the list, but down in 10th. Uh, most active pro disc golfers. Uh, I was going to say Cal, as in just probably most played. Probably. No, it wouldn't be Calvin in the sense that he took time yeah, off. Yeah, there's plenty of events he doesn't play. I think it's one of the prodigy got kids. They play all. They play yeah, all like Elden, Alden or, or uh, Elden. Yeah, Alden, Gannon, Isaac, Isaac. Gannon or Gavin. Isaac uh, make the most sense. Isaac Robinson holes completed sixteen hundred and sixty two. So his best finish was uh, Champions Cup and Worlds. He took first at those tear. Oh yeah, remember that. Man, who would have guessed? This thing, if you went to play those two. <laughs> yep. This is all the MPO. Hopefully, we're going to see uh, some of the FPO stats come out. Are they not so, out yet, or are they just a, a click away, and we're, we're not going to roll through them all? But, we are not going to um, roll through them all. Okay. But uh, yeah. yeah uh, I did not see a link here to FPO, but I'm, I'm only skimming it. Yeah, so. And they might be um, rolling that out in the next day or two. I'm so guess, yeah, that's I'm all thanks to our that. friends at UDISC providing us with content so we get something to talk about great guys and girls most of them everyone over there all but that one i'm not gonna tell you which one (laughs) there's a few Uh, maybe just one all right well yeah that's what we saw so uh go out plenty of off-season reading or slower season reading so to speak and uh, then of course a quick plug because i couldn't go this whole time without it Las Vegas coverage dropped today first round you'll see round two drop on what would be what Wednesday, the 15th of November, and then on Thursday, you'll see the final round. And then by that time, also, even though it's almost all edited and ready to go, the PLO coverage that I just uh, had this last weekend Slow down there, will Terry. also <laughs> be coming out. Then there's a few that are that are a little bit older that can get released. And the next thing you know, I'm going to be at the Chainhawk Open in, in uh, Florida in a couple weeks. Yeah. Colt Turkey's taking place. That just officially sold out today, the uh, tournament that I'm hosting, in a little less than two weeks. So, uh, But we still have a flex start. All day Saturday, uh, there is a flex start that's taking place over at the Colt Turkey. Speaking of older media, there's a trend, I'm sure you've seen it on social media, between um, amongst all of our disc golfers. Yeah. Photos of the first pro you met. Yeah. Which is kind of funny. They didn't have photographs back when we were two. No. <laughs> Those no, didn't they exist. Doing- Chisel and, drawings, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Chisel and stone. And it was more or less the first pro you met. And some people are, you know, it was maybe the first pro they took a picture with or, or whatnot. I, we, it was started, um, with Nicholas, Nicholas and Simon, a picture with them. And it's funny cause Nicholas looks the same. Nicholas looks the same, just smaller, yeah. which is fun. Like just literally shorter. Like the kid just, he just grew, but didn't get, it doesn't <laughs> look any older. He doesn't age. Um, and Simon a little worse for the wear. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, just, uh, Simon's looking younger, you know, yeah, but was, he, but that was, he know, was younger. He was younger. That was 10 or 12 years ago, probably for him. Uh, yeah. So that's a fun trend that's been going around. Love yeah. seeing it. And, uh, 
people making the post. And I was thinking like there's there was not a picture taken at one of my earliest tournaments. And then I it's obviously well, of course where do you draw a line as to pro and who's a pro and what caliber of pro. Our first pro was Barry. Yeah, exactly. You know, he, Barry he, Schultz. Barry Schultz was the local stud who kicked everyone's butt and then eventually became the the you know the the touring pro that he became. Yeah. Do you who do well, who, Barry was at every every Wisconsin every event. event in Wisconsin of any significance at all. Barry was there playing yeah. as well, so he would, in my opinion, be considered the first you know, Le- yeah. legitimate high level professional. Other than that, other than Barry, who was the first? Who do you think was it? Would it be like Stokely or Climo? For me, it would have been Climo because Ken Climo and Ed Hedrick. We're at the 1995 Fox Valley Open, which you yeah. weren't nope. even at. I was not. And that was before I, uh, I played tournaments. 95 or 96. Now I'm already starting to confuse myself. They, they were at one of those, which is in the backyard of where Johnny and I played. Johnny lived just down the road from that particular park, Plumman Park. And so one of my first ever sanctioned tournaments had Ken Climo and had uh Barry Schultz, Paul Nitsch, who at the time was definitely a a a rival to Barry Schultz very much in terms of skill and on any given day Paul would beat Barry anyway they were both just as good as each other and uh also uh oh my gosh not uh I don't believe I can't I'm drawing a blank from Texas he came up and played 1995 I don't believe I've just now forgotten it mm-hmm. um it not a name that everyone would know but in today's age but from back then everyone knew who he was but anyway they had played um can i find 1995 eric marks sorry uh, who okay. beat barry schultz and eric marks finished just behind ken climo so <laughs> again if you're a little bit more old school i wouldn't expect you to necessarily know eric marks today he's pdj number 1024 um but very much you know a, a super Impressive professional, obviously, at that time. So Ken Climo, Eric Marks, Barry Schultz, Jeff Harper, then Paul Nitsch, so on and so forth. So uh, those were, (laughs) that was one of my first ever tournaments. (laughs) Had Schultz and Climo and Eric Marks, and then Steady Ed Hedrick was friends with the tournament director. So he was out from California in Wisconsin hanging out. Not a bad First event, Climo, one of your first events, and Hedrick, <laughs> along with our hometown Barry Schultz, and clearly none of that really meant much to me. Ed Hedrick was, so to speak, just a guy. It was 1995. Yeah. He obviously was the you know the founder in what he was, but there wasn't the social media, there wasn't the fanfare, there wasn't as much uh, you know renowned significance at the time. And so, yeah, that was... Well, 95, Climo's only... Five-time world champ. Yeah, five-time world only. It was uh, it was May, so I think, yeah, he was still at that time. Five. 90, yeah, like a five-time world champ. Yep. So, yeah, pretty pretty uh, funny <laughs> I, that that's, that was who was at uh, one of the first ever sanctioned events I ever played. I was trying to think of my second pro, because Barry, obviously, was my first, second touring pro. I, I don't remember if it would if it would have been Stokely or... Because we ran into Stokely at North Valley, but I don't remember if that was before or after we went on spring break. 
It's been, it's, I'm just trying to rack my brain and I didn't well, feel like we, looking we didn't do our first spring break till 98. 98. And so, so that, that's so then, when we met. That would have been, so like then it would Ron have been. Russell. Yep, we went. And yep. uh, River Sherrod and Brad Hammock was, I probably at that event. Dave Greenwell. Yep, we Climo, <laughs> we, we stayed with and hung out with at, in 98 mm-hmm. down in Sarasota. That was when we met Double G Johnny and the was Johnny McRae. Yeah, Double G was like this tall. Uh, <laughs> There's a picture somewhere of me standing next to him. Yeah, so. Uh, but yes, that was when we did our, our, our spring break tour. So it must have been Stokely after that, because um, I believe North Valley was like 99 um, the North For Valley, the majestic. No, no, it was like the North Valley challenge. We went over for, mm. we went over Minnesota yeah, for, I think it was 98, I think it was 98, 99, 99, but I think it was after our spring break. So I, I couldn't put the two in my head, but it would have been that tour where we, where we met almost <laughs> every touring pro on the East coast. Practically. It felt like, uh, or at least the Southeast. Darren says, for me, it was Barsby at the Bar- bourbon cowboy in 2018 GBO. That, there you uh, go. that sounds about right. I like it. All right, guys, let's call it. It's almost as after show fodder, but let's call it. It's been an incredible show. Thank you so much to Thomas Gilbert, and thank you to Charlie Mead, all of WIFDIF, all the PDGA reps, and then anyone else that had anything to do with that event getting uh, conjured up, put together, assembled, and then overall have the participation that it did. And you're talking about international competitors. You're talking about a couple of alternates and then fancy uh, uniforms. I mean, it, it, it sounds like they really did it up great on their first attempt and, uh, kudos and hats off to all of them to make it happen. And congrats obviously to team Canada for then taking it down, uh, with the U S finishing second. This has been podcast 480. Once again, thanks you to Thomas Gilbert for Johnny VM, the disc golf guy. We'll have our after show. We'll have giveaways. We'll talk about other random stuff, all that and more in just a few moments when you step inside the Smashbox. Thank you to our $2 and above patrons. Your name is listed below in the credits. If you are interested in being listed as a producer in the Smashbox TV credits and supporting this and other fine podcasts, please visit patreon.com slash smashbox TV. Need new glasses or want a fresh new style? Warby Parker has you covered. Glasses start at just 95 bucks, including anti-reflective, scratch-resistant prescription lenses that block 100% of UV rays. Every frame's designed in-house, with a huge selection of styles for every face shape. And with Warby Parker's free home try-on program, you can order five pairs to try at home for free. Shipping is free both ways, too. Go to warbyparker.com covered to try five pairs of frames at home for free. Warbyparker.com covered. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 